it's really putting yourself in the other person's shoes first. That's where it gets hard. Some people are so data focused, analytical focused, people who are more objective than subjective, it can be very difficult and very hard for them naturally, not purposefully, but naturally to be more empathetic and show interest and concern for the other person before they get started. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to another episode. I am so delighted to introduce our guest to you today because I know that you are going to want to hear what he's got to share with you. And how do I know that? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So our guest today is Ed Everts, and he is the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development, Boston-based coaching organization. And he works with successful leaders to increase their self-awareness so that they can manage themselves more productively. He works with successful teams to ensure that their time together is as productive as possible. And Ed has written a number of books, but the one that we're talking about today is his latest. It's called Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success. And so if you are listening and you are ambitious, you're talented, and you're ready to take your career to the next level, you are in the right place and are going to enjoy hearing from Ed today. So Ed, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you, David. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, We are glad to have you. And uh, there is so much, and I know I'm already aware we are not going to get to everything that I would possibly want to get to, but there's so much value for us here in in your book. But before we dive into it, I want to ask you if you would take us back and share with us your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? I started in kind of corporate America once I graduated college and began working in the retail industry. And my father had been a uh, executive in the retail industry as well. No great surprise that I went into retailing as well. And, you know, I can still remember opportunities where in retailing, you became a department manager, which is somebody who oversaw a department and scheduled the employees within that department. And those are really my earliest observations of leadership. And, you know, I think even in reflection, I knew I was going to be a leadership coach someday because even back then I was making observations and taking notes of things that I observed or lessons that I experience that I would want others to know about. So, you know, I've carried all those with me all these years. And, you know, my earliest knowledge and recollection, David, is, you know, in retail organizations, first in the South, and then here in the Northeast, you know, really leading others in a highly intensive customer service environment. All right. And it's interesting, the the number of times, I ask every guest that question, Ed, and it is amazing to me as leaders the patterns and the talents and strengths and the kind of the superpowers, if you will, that, that we bring to our leadership and to the work that we do. And for you with your coaching that started so early, sounds like that was the case for you. It definitely starts early. And, you know, I do believe also to pick up on what you just said, that there are consistent, you know, I don't know that I would call them patterns, but there are consistencies amongst how people grow as leaders, behaviors they need to demonstrate in order to be a more effective leader that can impact most people positively, right? It's, you know, leadership is very complex. And as you know, there are billions of books out there on leadership and leadership behaviors. 
But you know, there are some key behaviors that people need to do that if most people did, they would be more effective. So I, I do believe there's some consistency amongst people associated with being a better leader that if they followed, their likelihood for being more successful is greater. And that is a fantastic segue, gets us into the intersection of leadership and career development that Drive Your Career really has to share with us. And, you know, there's a preliminary statement that you make that I think is relevant to everyone that's that's listening, because anyone here that's listening obviously cares about their own development. As a listener, you're sitting here listening because you want to be better. You, you want to do a better job. At, you want to lead more effectively. You want to be more, uh, more influential. You want to do it in a way that is consistent with, you know, that's human centered. And you make a statement early in your book. Let's see, let me remember the exact words. You say that it's better to do something recurrently than frequently as we're trying to implement and master new skills and, and make them a part of, of how we work and how we lead. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that? That stood out to me. Well, that's a key leadership behavior. You know, most people think that if I'm supposed to do something, I should do it often. It's kind of like just our natural inclination, right? That if I'm supposed to go to the gym, I must go every day or, you know, you know, we just get a repetition into our head as something that's very important. I believe in working as a leader that it's more important, regardless of how often you do it, that you ensure that you keep doing it. And so recurrency, which is if we're going to meet once a month to talk about your career or you as a contributor to the organization, we need to meet every month in order to continue to make great progress. Unfortunately, what happens is we start strong. It's the old join the gym in January, as everybody does as a New Year's resolution. And then by March 15th, you know, nobody's going at all, right? So uh, the recurrency didn't kick in. So I believe as a leader, it's more important to set up a regular schedule. It could be once a month, it could be once a quarter, it could be twice a year, but that we honor that schedule and do it. And leaders that do that and ensure that they are honoring that recurrency are more likely to have a positive impact on others. Uh, leaders that don't do that and start strong and then fizzle out, weaken their reputation and the uh, expectations that people have of them because they couldn't keep up the commitment that they had made. So it's not about how often you do it. It's more about doing whatever you said you're going to do on a recurring basis. And as you're talking that seems to me to be a principle that applies in so many areas of life. I mean, I'm even thinking about brushing your teeth, right? You know, you could brush your teeth frequently for a week, but that's not near as much value as brushing them consistently and regularly over time. I, I'm sure your dentist would tell you, don't brush your teeth, you know, 10 times a day. That's bad, right? But what you want to do is twice a day. And as, you, as long as you do it in the morning, and as long as you do it before you go to bed, you're adhering to good dental hygiene. So that's a great example, David. Frequency does not equal effectiveness, but recurrency, doing whatever you're doing, even if it's once or twice a day, is significantly more effective as a leader and as a person who's attempting to be better at whatever it is that they're working on. All right. So we're going to commit to recurrency, to the consistency, whatever that looks like, even if we have to drop our frequency in the number of times in a, in a certain time period that we're doing something in order to get there consistently. So let's talk about what the heck it is that we're doing now consistently and recurrently. And uh, there's the, you open with the bang here, talking drive your career, you talk about having a, a positive relationship with your boss. 
And everyone listening today is a leader, a manager, or on their way to that. And so this is a great, I think, place for us to camp out for a little bit, talking about how we cultivate that relationship. Let's talk about some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, and then we'll flip it around and say, okay, and your people, how do we help them do that with you? Or how can you facilitate that on their end? So let's start with looking up. How do I cultivate that relationship? A, why? And how do I cultivate that relationship with my boss? When I was putting together the book, David, I attempted to collect stories that I was experiencing as a coach most frequently with my clients. I'm not a statistician, but I would tell you that easily 85% of my clients wish they had a better relationship with their boss. I don't mean that they're best friends or, you know, they go out uh, as I like to say for margaritas on Friday, but uh, that the relationship was better than it is. Nobody has as significant an impact on you at your in your workplace than your boss. You know, the boss is the filter from which work comes. The boss is the one who signs responsibilities and roles and projects. Uh, you know, your boss is a significant player in your success. So it's very important, especially for our listeners, to first do some self-reflection on how is my relationship with my boss? Could it be better? And if it could be better, what are some things I can do, not my boss, but what are some things I can do more effectively in order to enhance that relationship? I guarantee you, the better your relationship is with your boss, the better your work experience will be, the better your credential building will be, you'll get better projects, better initiatives, better attention. It will just be better for you in the workplace. We've heard that statistic endlessly that the number one reason people leave the workplace isn't due to money or benefits. It's because of a bad boss, that they had a bad relationship with that boss. So if in fact that's accurate and that can have that type of negative impact, you want to have a more positive impact and ensure that you are actively working to have a positive relationship with your boss. Okay. And I, I'm sure there's no one listening that could disagree with that, right? That we, we know the importance and value it, it just intrinsically. We know that of that relationship, but man, it's a, and you said yourself, 80, 85% of your, of the stories you hear people would, would say, yeah, I need a better relationship. So why is that? Why is it fraught? Why is it why is it as challenging as it is? And what are some of the steps that we can take to to proactively improve those relationships? Well, the reasons that relationships are not what they should be are probably endless. Uh, there are a number of reasons why uh, people don't get along as well as they could in the workplace. You know, I would tell you number one is probably personality based that there are just differences in how I operate versus how you operate. We've never talked about it. We've never acknowledged it. And we keep just you know, fighting each other necessarily because you're not doing it the way that I wanted you to do it. And you're not asking me the way that I wanted you to ask, right? And we don't ever work to improve it. So having a better knowledge of the, you know, what I would call the personality preferences or my work style in, uh, as a leader is very important. Uh, other areas and reasons, David, include things like geography, so in today's very virtual global world, you know, I have clients who work and live in New York, but their boss is in San Diego or Australia. I rarely see my boss except on, you know, some type of virtual network. Uh, there are even times where my boss has come to our corporate building and, and has never even come to see me, right? I mean, that's a story I hear all the time. You know, Ed, let me give you an example of how bad our relationship is. My boss was here for three days and never, and I didn't know that. And never once came over and said, or at least to my knowledge, came over and said, 
hey, I just wanted to stop by and say, hi, we haven't met each other, right? So, you know, geography, and again, there's a number of other reasons why this might be a challenge. So, you know, there's also a number of things that you can do in order to improve it. You know, is it okay if I share with you a couple of those ideas? Absolutely. I'm just, first, I have to say, wow, seriously, somebody's direct supervisor <laughs> didn't even introduce themselves when they hadn't met in person. That's, yeah. that's shocking. Well, people are people and, you know, everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own agenda. Everybody has their own biases and perspectives and they don't always operate in the way that we might expect. Right. So I've heard a number of stories like that, not all that same story, but examples of how a work relationship, whether it's between two peers, a boss and a subordinate, two subordinates, whatever, could be working together more effectively. But, you know, we get caught in this rut of behavior that we never stop to acknowledge and say, hey, you know what? I probably could have a better relationship with David and I should be doing something about it. But instead we just keep going and we never make great, great progress. Fall into those, those habits. Okay, so let's take a look at some of those steps. What can we do? Yeah, so a, a couple of things that you can do. One is if you have the courage, and I recognize that this does require some degree of bravery, is to have a transparent conversation with your boss where you say, hey, I think we get along well. However, I think we could get along a lot better. And there are some things that I'd like to do in order to make great progress on that. And I'm hoping that you would want to do the same as well. There are some bosses that this is not an effective use of time with, right? There are some bosses who will never you'll never have a great relationship with, doesn't want to have great relationship with people, uh, doesn't see that as their role, their responsibility. It's not your job to change them or you know have a uh, Ebenezer Scrooge type moment and see the world a lot differently, but they uh, just don't want to have that type of experience. So this is not something that works for everyone, right? It has to work in certain situations where you have the modicum of a relationship with your boss. But the first step is being transparent that you want to do something about it. Again, even that alone, and everything I just said to you took, what, 30 seconds of time, takes a lot of bravery because you don't know what to expect. You hope the boss would say, absolutely, let's do that. And you worry sometimes that they might not say that. If they do say, look, I think it would be great for us to do some things to help enhance our relationship. The first thing I'd ask you to do is, be curious about what your boss's goals and objectives are. All bosses like to know that people who work for them are supporting the company and them, right? And what they wanna do and the way that they wanna work and the impact that they wanna make in the organization. And they can only do that if others know what their goals and objectives are. Lots of bosses don't take the time to share what their goals and objectives are with people. They're the boss, so they just tell you what to do or give you feedback, but they don't share with you what their personal goals and objectives are. So, you know, I think this is a conversation that's not happening in most organizations where I'm curious about, uh, you know, what you could be, uh, what you want to do and how you want to be successful in order to make great progress. The second thing is also to be self-reflective and ask your boss what I call the million dollar question, which is what are one or two things I could do differently to be more effective? I think you should ask your boss this at least once or twice a year. This goes back to recurrency. You wanna ask it on a recurring basis, not often, but do it every once in a while. What's one or two things I could do more uh, effectively to you know, be different in the workplace is a key question that people need to ask others in order to make great progress. Again, these are not the type of conversations that happen all the time in the workplace, but I guarantee you, if you're showing more curiosity to your boss about their goals and objectives and are open about what you could do differently to be more effective, your relationship will grow and you will have a better relationship with your boss.
These are su such powerful questions. I want to unpack these a little bit. And going back to the first comment you made about uh, what that positive relationship even looks like. And so that we adjust our, our definition of that based on the person or personalities, the type of work we're doing. There's a lot of factors that go into that. I've had, I have one uh, early supervisor in my career who I'm still friends with. And ended up being, when I became an executive, I ended up being her supervisor later in my career. And we had a great relationship and became friends outside of work. And, um, and you know, maybe talk to her once a year now, but, you know, that great relationship. And I've had others on the far opposite end of the spectrum where they were very transactional, didn't want any personal relationship. But you still want a good working relationship with them. So we just have to define what good looks like, I think, for each of those situations. And even if they are transactional and don't want to make the personal connection, I, I think it's still valuable to say, hey, I want to make sure that we are being as effective as possible in our work together. And I want to support, and back to what you said, your second point about their goals, I want to make sure that you are getting everything you need and that we are being successful as a team together. And I, I care about our team. I care about our success want to make sure that's happening. And I just, it, I just want to underscore what you said there, Ed, about what success looks like and knowing what their goals and objectives are. And back to the recurrency, I think that that's a question that can be asked just about in every interaction on any project, on, on any assignment, anytime there is something that needs to happen, Hey, what does success look like here? What's our ultimate objective? I want to make sure that we are doing that. And sometimes that will give you the opportunity to find ways of serving or leading beyond whatever the task assignment was that can add a lot of value for the team, for the outcome, and uh, ultimately improve your relationship with your boss. I'd be curious your thoughts on that in terms of asking, you know, on a recurring basis about, about that, and then seeing if you can fulfill that ultimate objective? Absolutely. This is a question that does need to be asked on a recurring basis. And I would add to it a little bit, David, it's not just only what is successful for us, but it's also knowing what is important to your boss. So it's not your boss saying, I want to be president of the company someday, but it's, you know, hey, I want to lead a team who does X, Y, and Z. I want this organization to be known for X, Y, Z, right? You know, I want when I say something that people are curious about what to do next and don't just roll their eyes or whatever, you know, whatever it might be that's important to your boss. You know, think about your boss on a bad day. You know, on a bad day, your boss probably goes home and says, this darn team, they're not listening to me. They won't do what I want. You know, I'm always getting pushed back. They're always late, right? These are all the things that aggravate your boss in, in respect to what they're working on. And so these are the things that you want to know about their style. I have a colleague who has a document he created that has uh, conversational questions and sections four through seven of seven questions. So there's only seven questions. And this is a conversation between a boss and a subordinate who are new working together. Uh, questions four through seven are all about work style. How do you like to do things? You know, how do you like to get things done? How do you communicate with others? What frustrates you? You know, what are you looking for? Right? They're all about not what you do, whether you're in law or real estate or human resources or technology, it's about how you operate as a leader. 
again, just to be redundant, you know, th this is not a conversation that's happening in uh, organizations across the globe where we're talking about how we do things. When I think back on my career, uh, and most recently at my last employer, I had two significant bosses. Uh, the first boss I got along great with, it's the boss that hired me. And there is something about hiring versus inheriting. Uh, so this was the boss that hired me. We had a great relationship. Uh, when that boss left and a new boss came in who now inherited me, wasn't so great. And I made a number of errors in respect to not being curious enough about what was important to this boss in order to make great progress. And so it became problematic for me at the organization. I was still in my mind, the same person I was before, but now suddenly nothing I did was right, right? So and before it worked, so a lot of confusion on that front, but you know, finding time to explore how you do things and why you do them that way is super critical to being successful and building a great relationship with your boss. That how you do things is, and I think if anything, that has escalated in importance, particularly in this virtual hybrid environment that so many folks find themselves in, because it's, in, it's opened a whole new set of hows that if we just take for granted and we don't think consciously about that intentionality, I'm even thinking of, of Karen and myself, uh, listeners know, and I know you know Karen as well, but we have very different styles. And so for our team, we have to define those for our team and say, hey, listen, if you're talking with me, uh, our, our, our asynchronous communication platform is fantastic. I, the writing works really well for me back and forth. And for Karen, it's probably going to work better to pick up the phone or, you know, or save it all for an email and put it in a longer form. You know, there, we, we just have different styles and knowing those. And if we can be, this gets to the flip side of the conversation as leaders, if we can be clear about that and volunteer that information and learn it about our people, that's going to help us build better relationships too. Let's take that, Ed. Let's flip the script now. And as leaders, what can we be doing to invest in those and help our, our teams to build better relationships with us? Well, I was just going to say, David, you have the right idea, which is as a leader, recognizing that there are many different personality preferences at play in the world. I'm now leading a group of people who fit and mirror many of these different leadership preferences. I need to know them, right? I want to honor and share and explore these with others so we know how to work together better. Now, there's no magic formula that just says, hey, all you people have been hired to the team. Hey, we're all going to work well together because that may not be the case. And we know it's not the case, right? Because we build little animosities against other people for very minor reasons from time to time. So a leader, uh, I, and I believe one of the first key steps a great leader could do is recognize with transparency that there are different personality preferences at play, that they're new to the team or the team is new to them. And you wanna be very clear. So before we start doing the what we do, Let's talk about how we're going to do it. And this translates beautifully into the teamwork that I do, where we talk more about how we operate as a team, how we make decisions, how we share information, how we move forward versus what we're doing, right? We don't even talk about necessarily what we're doing, but how are we going to get there? If there is a disagreement, how do you disagree respectfully? And disagreements are good. Conflict is good, right? You need that in order to really build the best answer possible. But how do we explore that in confidential ways? So all of that are things that leaders can put on the table, helping people understand them better so they can work with each other more effectively. Absolutely. You know, you're uh, reminding me back, even when it comes to conflict and disagreement there, and I, I think this is just vital that you have those discussions about how we're going to disagree. 
how we're going to resolve and get back on track when we step on each other's toes. Because it's not a matter of if we're going to bother each other, we're human beings, it's going to happen. What do we do with it then? And from a leadership perspective, if you can help your team have the tools to do that, you're going to be head and shoulders above other teams that don't just make you more effective. Yeah. And I would tell you, oftentimes when I work with colleagues who are in an adversarial relationship with somebody else, we work on two areas. We work on how do we resolve what you're experiencing? Because we both, you know, everybody in that situation wants to be focused on success and moving forward. We don't want to just be stuck where we are and never moving forward. So we want to sign up for helping solve it and moving forward. But then we spend time talking about what do we do if it happens again? Right now we have to have a model that if I disagree with you or if something you did is irritating me, or if I think you're going back to what we agreed we weren't going to do or whatever it might be, how can I address this so we don't get stuck here again? Because repeating history in this example, you know, isn't going to be effective. We wanna show that we were able to grow and develop in what we learned. And now if David and I work together and he and I disagree, or if he does something that irritates me or vice versa, here's how we handle it. And we do it, we move on. And it's very, very effective because we have to recognize as leaders, there will be conflict. There will be disagreements. No, you know, no team is made of people who all agree. And as experts would tell you, it's a problem if everybody agrees, right? Because that means that there's not enough challenge and creativity to look at things in different ways uh, that you know, we have to figure out what do we do when we have this situation happen again? Absolutely. So, you know, I want to take you back to something you said uh, a little while ago, which was that, and particularly, again, virtual remote environments were hybrid situations, although it's not unique to that, the challenge of building relationships. Uh, and I'm thinking of a colleague I was talking with the other day, director, uh, just hired in a director role about a month into this new position. And she is having the toughest time building relationships, even to be able to ask the questions about what are your goals here for this initiative and what, how would, what does success look like? And so that she can get the clarity about what she could be doing to be most effective, you know, and it's in there in the middle of a merger acquisition. There's a lot of things going on and she's struggling to build those relationships with her boss, with, you know, the dotted line relationships with peers, so forth. So I'm curious if you have any suggestions for people who, as they're thinking about, okay, yeah, I know I need to build these relationships. Where do I start? (laughs) Well, look, I think I'm going to answer the question maybe a little bit differently. Uh, In Drive Your Career, I have a chapter called Play the Hand You've Been Dealt, and I'll compress it significantly, but Play the Hand You've Been Dealt is to look at the hand you've been dealt. And as we know in poker, you're dealt five random cards, right? We shuffle it for a purpose and that's to create variability in the deck and you get a hand. And sometimes it's a great hand where I get along with everybody. And if I say, hey, I've got a question, they're like, sure, come on up, let's talk about it, right? And things are humming and things are going really well. And sometimes I get a bad hand, right? Where someone is experiencing what you're experiencing. And so when you get a hand or when you find your workplace is what it is, you have really three choices. And choice number one is to fold. And I tell people sometimes choices they've made, organizations that they've joined, decisions that they think were well thought out may not have been. And what you might want to do is recognize that you didn't make a good choice and that this is a hand you should fold. And you need to move on and find an organization that honors what you honor, has the culture that you want, can support you in the ways that you're looking to be supporting and just move on. The other two are bluff 
Uh, you know, I would tell you that most of my clients right now are bluffing, which is really making it feel like things are better than it really is. And, you know, I think bluffing is great short term. So if you and I needed to bluff between now and three days from now, no problem. But years of bluffing, years of pretending I like my boss and I don't, years of pretending I believe in what the company stands for and I don't is problematic, right? And that's where a lot of people find themselves. And then the last, which of course is a coach I focus on is to take action, which is like turning in some cards and getting some hopefully better cards. But of course you may not. And now you're back into that cycle again of thinking about what to do next. But you know, your colleague probably needs to think about uh, you know, have I made a good choice, right? Did, is this organization gonna be able to support me as a leader? And this is where drive your career comes from, which is I need to drive where I need to be. And if I took a wrong turn or took the wrong exit, which can happen, I need to get back on the highway that's important to me. And it may mean making a difficult decision, which is leaving. Or it may mean bluffing and pretending things are better than they are and just getting through the acquisition phase. And hopefully once she gets through that, people will be more open to meeting or taking action, which is talking with somebody very candidly like the leader of HR or her boss to say, hey, things are not unfolding here the way that I hoped they would be. Here's some of the things that I've been doing and you know, I'm being met with a cold hand. Nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody's interested in helping me. And I'm having trouble with that. Can you help me, right? So those are just some thoughts and observations that this person might want to consider as they figure out how to navigate what sounds like a you know pretty challenging situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm enjoying the poker analogy and I'm thinking of a of a of a bluff bet uh, that she could make in this particular instance with uh, you know taking action where you can, right? And doing work that and producing some results within the 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 arena and purview you do have and then getting those in front of people. And even using that maybe to open some doors and with some fun, um, fun different ways of, of, of doing that and mixing that in with the, the poker analogy. All right. So we have been camped out on the relationship with your boss, your relationship with, with your team members um, and building those relationships in general. Obviously, there's a lot more to driving your career. Um, what would be one or two of the other elements that in terms of of getting where you want to go in with your career that you would highlight for us from the book? Well, yeah, and I would just stress that the book talks more about the how to be a great leader versus what you're doing. So again, whether you're in law or real estate or manufacturing, uh, all of these can apply at all times. And you know, I think great leaders, David, need to have some very basic skill sets. We've talked about a couple of them, but you know, another one is listening. And so listening is a significant skill set for great leaders to really spend time not thinking about the answer while somebody else is talking, but listening to what they're saying so I can be more engaged in the conversation. Secondly, in the book, I talk about curiosity. And so curiosity is a significant leadership skill to help me understand more about where you're coming from, why you're coming from where you're coming from, you know, what your biases and beliefs are, so I can be more knowledgeable in how we interact on that particular topic. And then the third leadership skill, which I also talk about in the book, is empathy. And I do believe empathy is the word of the decade and that we're going to continue to hear more and more about being more empathetic. I don't know if you read LinkedIn a lot or not, but I just have noticed on LinkedIn almost every day there's an article or somebody's posting something about being more empathetic. And so uh, looking for ways to be more empathetic is a significant way to effectively lead a team more strategically. It feels like a light skill, but in reality, I believe that it is a deep strategic skill in order to build relationships, because if you have better relationships, 
you're going to have people who are more engaged. And of course, a more engaged workforce is going to help the company be more successful, right? So listening, curiosity, and demonstrating empathy, I think all three are great skills for leaders to have in order to be more effective. I'm so glad you highlighted those. And, and we've already seen some of those in action in the example that you shared with us about how you show up curious with your own boss and have empathy for their situation. How are they viewing the world? And then the action that you can take relative to that, that that's going to improve that relationship. So let's, uh, let's broaden those a little bit. Uh, the showing up curious, you just gave us some, some examples of what that looks like about you know, having the conversations and getting to truly understand your people and the people you're working with, your peers, your colleagues, and your boss and your boss's boss, you know, what's keeping them up at night and what problems do they need to solve and what does success look like for them? So let's go to empathy. I want to take a little bit deeper dive on empathy now, because I, you're absolutely right. It is in the atmosphere. I think that the pandemic has you know, if anything, elevated the role that empathy is playing because there have been so many people in pain, whether that's the pain of working from home while your child's swinging from the chandelier, whether it's the pain of, you know, medical workers who are not working from home and are, you know, in a horrible situations and, and burned out and taxed and, or whether it's the pain for those that, you know, are really resentful of all of the things that the pandemic has imposed upon us wherever you're coming from, there's a lot of pain out there. And I think everybody's kind of aware of that at some level. And so that has heightened perhaps our need for empathy or our awareness of the importance of it. My question for you, Ed, is as a leader who, yeah, I want to lead with empathy. I, I hear you saying it's a way to lead strategically. What does that look like? How do I lead with empathy? What does it look like? How do I do it? Yeah, I think the number one challenge that most leaders face, and this is a significant challenge, and I don't know the magic formula for resolving it yet, which is noticing a moment where empathy is required, right? If you're not even noticing that somebody's mood has changed or somebody's perspective is altered or their workload or quality of work has gone down, you know, whatever the variations are that have happened, if you're not even noticing it, the whole opportunity for empathy is lost. I've been hired by clients specifically because they want to improve their empathy. Right. And so it's, it's finding the first step, which is helping them look for and observe empathy. So when you think about emotional intelligence, one of the quadrants in emotional intelligence talks about social awareness, which is being aware of the surrounding you're in and whether you're leading a meeting or talking to somebody one on one or standing behind somebody in line for a cup of coffee. Right. Being very aware of the surroundings and what's happening around you to see if there are opportunities for empathy. I don't think people need to lead with empathy. I believe empathy needs to be one of the tools that they use from time to time in order to build better relationships and to increase employee engagement. So finding the ability, David, to notice that, hey, you seem to be down today. Can I chat with you for a couple of minutes about how you're feeling? You know, Finding that and doing that, I believe is the biggest challenge or hurdle for, you know, leaders operating today. You know, and we create those opportunities every time we start a conversation with someone, right? With, you know, hey, how's it going? And to really pay attention to what we hear. Yeah, I'm good. You know, or to change that question so that we actually get, you know, what's the best thing that's happened to you today? Yeah, we don't want to ask the question, what's, how's it going, right? Because you know? 
we almost always will hear good or, oh, I'm busy, right? Busy is the most overutilized word in corporate organizations around the globe. So, uh, you know, I'll just tell you a quick story. I was working with a client who wanted to build empathy skills and we were scheduled to have a meeting. And I also have an aunt who lives right up the road who is in her late eighties. And she called me cause she wasn't feeling well. And so I said, okay, I'll come get you and I'll take you up to the local doctor's office to get you checked out. So I had to call the client and let my client know that I was unable to make the meeting because I had to take my aunt to the doctor because she wasn't feeling well. Of course, no problem, let's reschedule. We rescheduled you know, for the next week. I walked into my client's office and my client jumped right into our conversation about work. And I sat there listening for a few minutes and then I paused him and I said, can I give you some polite feedback? And he said, absolutely, Ed, you're a coach. You're supposed to give me feedback. And I said, you just missed a huge opportunity for empathy. And he's like, what, what did I miss? Why did we miss our last meeting? Oh, I got it. How's your aunt, <laughs> right? I mean, he completely missed it. So that's what I'm saying. You know, notice and being able to recognize opportunities for empathy which, and that would have been the most appropriate thing to do. Hey, Ed, before we get started, how's your aunt feeling? Is she okay? That would have been fantastic, right? Deeper relationship, more engagement, because now he is paying attention to our relationship and bringing himself to where I am in this relationship versus me just jumping into work. You know, it was a miss, right, from my perspective. And he was open to hearing it on that front. So, you know, finding these opportunities as they arise, I think are just super critical. Some people by personality are just more wired to pick up on those and they, they do the human first and, and so forth. And for those that are living more in the realm of the numbers or ideas or activity, it can be a little more challenging and we've got to be intentional and figure out those. Well, let me, how can I focus and see the human being in front of me first uh, and look for those opportunities? That's powerful. Yeah. In the personality preference world, we talk about it, you know, how do I start first in those people's shoes versus starting looking at them from my shoes, right? So, you know, David and I are having a meeting today. What happened to David recently? What's going on with, right? What do I know so I can make sure I don't miss anything, right? You know, if you got married, you know, last week, I'd hate to just join a conversation, start talking and not say, hey, congratulations on your way, right? So it's, it's really putting yourself in the other person's shoes first that's where it gets hard because to your point, some people are so data focused, analytical focused in the personality preference world, they call it thinkers, people who are more objective than subjective. It can be very difficult and very hard for them naturally, not purposefully, but naturally to be more empathetic and show interest and concern for the other person before they get started. So that's, that's where we spend our time, which is how to break through those barriers naturally so that they're putting themselves in the shoes of the other person first. Absolutely. And in my experience uh, is even, and I would say as someone who gravitates more into that realm, the, the, the thinking and activity realm is uh, you can use that strength even to focus on people. Like I got to put that in my checklist of, you know, how should I be thinking about this? If that's your strength, use it. You, know, you don't have to run away from it. You can use it to be, to do the whole job. Yeah, I have a very simple skill I give people who are looking to show more empathy. And this is going to sound so basic, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it's in emails on Mondays and Tuesdays, start the email with, I hope you had a great weekend. On 
uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays, late Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, I hope you're having a great week. On Thursday afternoons and Fridays, I hope you have a great weekend, right? So a little simple thing like that demonstrates to people that you're thinking about them, but people who demonstrate low empathy, you know, on Friday afternoon, send an email saying, I'm gonna need a report on Monday, blah, 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 thank you. And it's like, dude, it's Friday afternoon, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to get that done right now. So, you know, it's some basic simple tools like that that you can do in an effort to demonstrate a little greater empathy on your part as a leader in your organization. And hey, listeners, I will tell you, if you are not doing that, I have been, I've used that technique that Ed's talking about in my emails for years. I didn't even realize it's a technique. It's just something I do. But <laughs> now that you're calling attention to it, one of the things I have been told over the years is that I write good emails, that they have a good tone to them. And maybe that's why. So <laughs> that's why. That's All the right. reason. Powerful. Again, it's just acknowledging our humanity in the middle of the work that we're doing. Exactly. So speaking of humanity, I want to, as we draw towards the close of our show today, I want to go to your heart. Why writing this book? Why was Drive Your Career so important for you to take that? I know what it takes to write a book, and this isn't the first one you've done. So you've been there, you've done that, you've written some, but why did you write this book? Why was it so important? Well, you know, there's that old joke that, you know, psychiatrists are psychiatrists because they're the crazy ones. And by sitting and talking with people, it helps them get a little bit saner. So, you know, I think back on my career, I never had a coach and I work for some large organizations that I'm sure could have afforded a coach. And I know that at certain points in that career, by talking to someone objectively and confidentially, I could have made a much better progress. I could have had a much better outcome for everyone, not just for me, but even for the organization itself. And so, you know, I think in my mind, it's about giving back. It's about providing an opportunity for somebody who might not have a coach, who might not have a mentor, who might believe that there's nobody that they can talk to at their organization. You know, we're very sensitive to what we talk to our boss about because we don't want to create an impression with our boss that I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know the answer. You know, we went to high school and college believing and being taught, we always had to have the answer, right? The economics professor walked in and said, you know, what's this mean? And everybody was supposed to raise their hand. So, you know, we've been raised to believe that we always are supposed to have all the answers. And if we don't, in my mind, David, I wrote the book because I wanted to share nine stories of experiences that I've had with most clients most often over the last 12 years that have impacted them favorably in moving forward in their career positively. And so it's about giving back and about helping others be more successful in whatever they're doing. Yeah. And appreciate you doing that. I know that everyone that gets the book is going to benefit from that, that generosity and desire to share. So speaking of getting the book, where do we find you? Where do we find the book? Where do we connect with you? Sure. If you go to my website, excelius.com, that's E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S. Uh, we also have this brilliant pop-up that will happen where you can order the book there or you can order the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble online. Uh, Excelius.com also has all sorts of other information about leadership coaching, team coaching, business strategy, and things of that nature. So everything you ever wanted to know about Ed or Excelius is there. And Ed, also you run a podcast, Be Brave at Work, yeah? I do. So we've been running one since December of 2019, exploring bravery in the workplace. And so I'd encourage you to check that out. Karen has been a guest on Ed's show before. And, uh, you know, we went, we started off this conversation talking about the courage to have 
a conversation with your boss about how you can have the best relationship. And so, so many different aspects where courage and bravery come in. And obviously, uh, big believers in that, you know, with our latest book, Courageous Cultures, uh, obviously, there's some good synergy there. So I encourage you, if you're excited about those topics, check out Be Brave at Work with Ed as well. So Ed, final question for you is, uh, I'm going to throw the doors wide open. What do you most want me, and by me, I mean all of us listening today, but what do you what do you want me to know about driving your own career success, taking responsibility for your own success? Yeah, I think, David, the first step, which is the simplest step, but also a hard step, is to invest in self-reflection, right? It's thinking about, do I have the type of relationship I want to have with my boss? You know, what is the hand that I've been dealt at work? Was I dealt a great hand or quite frankly, a bad hand, and it is a bad hand, and I need to call it a bad hand, because that's what it is. You know, I would encourage people to be self-reflective as to their current experience, and then decide how they want to move forward, driving their career, which is making progress in ways that are important to them. And there are endless number of ways, of course, to drive your career in respect to having a better relationship with your boss or playing the hand that you've been dealt. But I would start with self-reflection, because if you don't know from where you're starting, then you don't know which direction to go. All right. Our old wisdom, know thyself, right? Know thyself. Yes. Thank you, Shakespeare and, and all of our Greek philosophers, Socrates. right? <laughs> Socrates. There we go. Start with the reflection, know yourself, listen, curiosity, empathy to drive your career success, take responsibility for your career and help your people do the same. And you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Ed, thank you so much. Thank you, David. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.